When your message must be memorable, your presentation powerful, and your sales successful, Patricia Fripp can help. As a presentation skills expert, Kipling's personal finance wrote, learning presentation skills from Patricia Fripp is one of the best ways to invest in you. She is the author of three books and co-author of another three. Her latest, Deliver Unforgettable Presentations. Patricia has been named one of the top 30 women in sales and one of the top 30 global gurus. Her coaching clients include sales teams, engineers, executives, and professional speakers. Her online learning platform, Fripp VT Powerful. Persuasive presentations is embraced as a must-have by speakers and companies worldwide. To become a great speaker easily, conveniently, and quickly. Please welcome Patricia Fripp. Welcome, everybody, to Money 911, where we talk about health, wealth, and peace of mind. And you just heard the fabulous intro for my beautiful guest, Patricia Fripp. And I'm really excited. I've been really waiting for this day because she's a longtime friend. I met her at the National Speakers Association. I've gone to her events she had in, in Vegas, several of them. Every time I go to NSA, I'd go to right to her where she taught. And honestly, that's where I've learned all the value that I've had. She's she's my mentor from a distance because, you know, I don't always get to attend all the different things. So I'm totally thrilled to have you here. Enough of what I have to say. Welcome, welcome, Patricia. Really Thank glad you. to have you here. And on that note, you are a longtime speaker of the National Speakers Association and the first woman president, correct? Yes. And, you know, I'm just cut to the chase here. I'm just going to ask you, there's five ways that you help speakers improve. What would that be? Yes. So whether it's an engineer, a CEO, a professional speaker, or an ambitious person who wants to get ahead in their career. There are basic proven principles that always work. Your audience might change. The format of how you deliver might change. Your message might change. The principles don't. So one, I work on one principle, and I recommend all my clients do, is to understand your presentation, however you define a presentation, it can be a conversation. It can be a demo for of your product for your client. The one premise is everyone is more interested in themselves than they are in you. <laughs> right. And how you how you look about your presentation is what I call you speak as an audience advocate. So, for example, we've all seen examples of this. A CEO gets on stage and says, "Our strategies are sound." This is going to be very good for our company. The shareholders are going to love it. That's great if you're talking to your board of directors or your investors. 
If you're talking to your employees and your employees are not shareholders, no good. So what you do is you take the same message and adapt it to the audience. Our strategies are sound. That means business will increase. There's more opportunity for promotion and job security. Same basic information adapted to the audience. And what I teach all my clients is to watch the I versus you balance. In other words, you're not going to say, I'm going to talk about now you say in the next 28 minutes, you will learn or you will hear or you will better understand what it is you're talking about. Mm. And I, I use you focus phrases and I recommend my audience to develop their own. But you have the confidence of knowing in your experience, how often have you? So you collect these you focus and you put them in emails as well as conversations, as well as presentations. So one, it's all about the audience. Two, the first 30 seconds and the last 30 seconds of any presentation are very important. It's to the purpose of your opening is to arouse interest in the subject. So good morning, ladies and gentlemen. What a pleasure it is to be here. And when Chris first invited me to speak, I thought, oh, wow, what an opportunity to go to Las Vegas. Nobody gives a damn. <laughs> the purpose of your opening is to arouse interest. And you have multiple ways. You could begin with a story. Or you could begin with a question. If I were to ask you, is 2023 the year you double the quality of your presentations or portfolio or whatever you're talking about? If I were to ask you, is 2023 the year you double the quality of your presentations? Perhaps you say yes. Perhaps you say no. Most likely you would say, Patricia, I would love it to be. Can you tell me how? Welcome to Powerful Persuasive Presentations. And in the next 90 minutes, you will learn six strategies that are guaranteed that. So you see, you can open with a rhetorical question. And depending on your subject is yes, no, or Patricia, I would like it to be. And I recommend, Chris, that you always put your name in because that is what other people would be asking you. And they can love a speaker. They don't always remember your name. So find as many ways to naturally and organically put your name into your presentation. It's all about the audience. And you can use you focused language to prove it's all about you. And you have to arouse interest in the subject, a rhetorical question. Here's another I love. Now, you can use it as an opening. However, wherever you go through your presentation, do you have an interesting statistic or little known fact? So you take that, and most people do, and even if they hadn't intended putting it at the beginning, bring it up to the front and add an emotion. Now, anytime you use it, you would also add an emotion. It might interest you to know that. It might surprise you to know that. It might shock you to know that. So you can see, again, it's got a you word in it. Anytime anyone hears, would it interest you? No. Oh, what, what, what? What? They re-engage. What? What's he asking me? Where's she going with this? Right. So add an emotion to an interesting statistic.
You can also start with a bold claim. Now, if you have a bold claim, you have to be able to live up to it. You have my personal guarantee that in the next 90 minutes, you will learn more about delivering a powerful, persuasive presentation than in every college course you've taken. Well, I think that's easy because it isn't really a, a subject that is taught a lot or maybe one class. Right. So that's a bold claim. Right. So that is you open. Now, the opening leads into a simple structure. So we have you focused, open, that leads into a simple, logical structure. And every structure of any important conversation, letter, presentation, team meeting, sales presentation, client demo, sermon, whatever your presentation is, it's built around a premise. And the premise is the big idea. And I recommend you look at your presentation and you fill in a simple formula and you write it down the page. Every can the subject of your talk forward slash result how question mark one two three so if the presentation is how to deliver powerful persuasive presentations now that is the subject so the the subtitle might be six strategies to get promoted hmm. we have a client in common the American Payroll Association. Right. And every year I deliver a presentation called Selling Yourself and Your Ideas. And when I, after my introduction, I say every payroll manager can get promoted. Oh, how? By learning to sell yourself and your ideas, especially to senior management. Oh, how do I do that? One, two, three. So this is the simple foundation. So your, your premise is selling the subject or selling the result. Mm. And often I say to my clients, what are you going to talk about? They tell me, and I say, well, that's good. What's the result of that? What's the result of that? What's the result of that? And usually the premise, the big idea, is the result of the result of the result of what you think you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So you have a simple, and then you simply structure it. The one, two, three, four are your talking points that you develop. So you might introduce an idea, then perhaps you need to give me an explanation of what you mean by that. Then an example, a story so we can see it. And then perhaps what would you want your audience to do with that? So you structure your presentation. So it's very simple. You can remember it. And most of my clients and most audiences waste time because they use their PowerPoint to create their presentation. No, you get all your ideas on a flip chart. You simply block it out. What's going there? You add some scripting. Then you ask yourself, where do I really need a visual aid to reinforce my point? Your PowerPoints are wonderful. They are visual aids. They're not your presentation. So it's about the audience, open with impact. You have a simple structure. Then, of course, you have to have wonderful stories because stories are a great way 
to inspire and motivate, to teach and train, to convince and persuade. Stories help simplify the complexity. Stories can help you give a high-level overview of what is going to be perhaps a more detailed a more detailed information. So you can see the picture of what our technology does. Now let's look at the different steps of how you learn to use the technology. That would be an example. And stories are about people, Chris. When we everybody loves stories because it doesn't matter where you were raised. We all have our own version of clean your teeth, get in your jammies, get in the bed, mummy, daddy, auntie, uncle, grandfather, grandmother will come tell you a story. <laughs> and that's part of their power because an audience hears a story or an example or a client case history, whatever a story is for your presentation, and they feel it's a reward. <laughs> and they help us see. So you've got to have good stories. Now I can do 30 minutes on how to make your stories better, but you have to have good stories. And then this is, I am famous for a phrase in the speaking world. Specificity builds credibility. And there I make my even CEOs slap their hand when they use naughty words. <laughs> right. The naughty word is, you might remember from our training, I do. stuff. It's never stuff. I always Unless you are talking about <laughs> what you do to your turkey at Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's not stuff. That's rubbish and debris. <laughs> then my most frequently asked question, if it weren't a thing, what would it be? <laughs> for example, one of my brilliant engineers getting ready for the big user conference as part of his presentation about the product that he works on, he said there are two things people love about. I said, if they weren't things, what would they be? <laughs> he said, innovative upgrades. I said, there are billions of people in the world. What people love your innovative upgrades? <laughs> he said, systems administrators. Can you see the difference in the quality of the communication between two things people love and then two innovative upgrades that systems administrators love? Who's in the audience? Systems administrators. <laughs> so it's no stuff. It's never a thing. Then if you can't weigh it, it's not tons. You don't get tons of ideas from a conversation or conference. You might have three pages of notes and eight actionable items. And if it's not fruits or vegetables, it's not bunch. Oh, you didn't meet a bunch of interesting people. No. You went to this, this networking event. There were Oh, 60 or 80 good-looking, interesting-looking people there. I had eight conversations with fascinating people. Mm -hmm. Three of them I've already followed up with, and we're going to have a, a conversation about how I can help them. Oh, boy. Frippism, right? <laughs> Frippisms. Frippisms. Yes. Well, those are imprinted because every time I, <laughs> I, this stuff comes up, she's on me now. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't, you, you're such a waterfall of brilliance. I will literally listen to my own, listen to you in this podcast 
many times because you just dropped so many gifts for me. And I mean, I've been speaking 32 years and I'm like a kid compared to you as far as quality and preciseness. Like I really wanted to start my podcast over. I'm just being honest. And because, you know, from what you just said, but the focus is these busy CEOs. So how do you, how can you help them save some time? I save the time by doing most of the thinking for them. Okay. In other words, when I meet with a CEO, let, so let me give you a perfect example. I got a call from a woman called Pat. She said, Patricia, as you know, we're a $2 billion company with aspirations of being $20 billion. And the work you've done getting ready for our big sales meeting, 100 and, oh, 1,500 people in Las Vegas at the Bellagio Hotel, the work you've done with the managers and the engineers are very well received. However, I've now got the toughest challenge of your life. Our president lives in France and he's coming over next week. And he's not a bad speaker. He's an engineer, brilliant, but very modest, little shy. And we are not a company who has any corporate rock stars. So we need you to write him a speech, turn him into a rock star, and you have four hours. <laughs> so it is very unusual, Chris, that I work with people that I haven't met before because I don't take people unless we have really good rapport. Anyway, so this, this man, wonderful man, walked in, and I don't think he knew what to expect. You, we're going to help. We booked you a speech coach to help you with your presentation. So, you know, what message you want to get across? Well, our strategy is sound. Good. And I said, Bernard, when was the first time you learned the importance of strategy? He said, I was a 14-year-old ball boy before the French Open. And as people came in to see the French Open, they didn't realize that they were watching a match of the ball boys <laughs> as they were coming in. And I was playing against my best friend. We were equally matched in talent and experience and skill. However, his sister was our ball boy and she wanted her brother to win. So she was trying to sabotage my game the way she threw the balls. And he said, that is when I learned the importance of strategy, when you're equally matched with your competitor and you're at a disadvantage. Mm. And I said, you have to tell that story. And what many CEOs and presidents of big companies say, do they really want to hear these stories? And I say, yes. For the simple reason, you will respect the person in this position president, CEO, general manager, that has a certain respect. However, you will fight in the streets for the person. Mm -hmm. And part of the complexity is they had bought one of their competitors. So 40% of the audience did not choose to work for them. So that was why it was such an important message. And I said, there is what you say and there is the subtext of what people know. And they would know, our president says, our strategy is sound. But wow, he has been studying strategy since he was 14 years old. The strategy probably is sound. So it's one, it's the person behind the position. 
And also it is the subtext of what the audience knows right at the beginning of the presentation. Mm. So what I do, I ask questions. I ask questions in the what would probably be the flow of the presentation. So I said, well, all right, so you, you just bought your competition. How did that happen? And he said, well, we were in a board meeting in, in France and and." I said, well, who said what to whom? And he said, one gentleman, I think his name was Arnold, had been on the board for 10 years, asked me, Bernard, what can we do to gain the market edge? And he said, I told him we could do this or we could do that or we could take the boldest move ever and buy our competitor, which these are the people in there. And now we had to convince them of how the strategy was sound. So we conversationally talked through it. And we got to a point of the presentation where he was talking about corporate citizenship. And we're at the point of his speech that if this were a movie, it would be the second act climax. So it has to be good. And it was obvious this wonderful man was so concerned about corporate strategy and and there'd just been a tsunami and the salespeople had donated, I think it was $260,000, which the company matched. Mm. And I was not about to tell one of the smartest men I ever met, well, your speech is getting a little flat. So instead I said, Bernard, how do you explain corporate citizenship? to your children. He said it was the day after Christmas and I sat both my children there. <laughs> I said, you are very generous children. No. It was the day after Christmas and I sat both my children there. He said, you are very lucky children because you have ge very generous parents and even more generous grandparents. And perhaps you would like to take one of your gift certificates, one of your presents, give them back to us. We'll cash in the money and give them to children who don't have homes. Mm -hmm. He said, I was so proud of my 14-year-old son. He said, Papa, oh. how much do I give? Because I could give you all of my savings and all of my pocket money and all of my Christmas presents. Oh. And it wouldn't be enough to make a difference. So how much do I give? Oh, yeah. Mm. Bernard said, Oh, you never give it all. You just give enough that it hurts a little. Oh. Now that, Chris, is a simple story that takes less than one minute to tell. Right. And every time I write a check or I fill in a donation for the charities I support, I remember that story and I add another 50 or 100 <laughs> That's it's so just gonna hurt just a little bit <laughs> right give it a little more. yeah but we were talking about stories and right. this is i often tell this story to speakers for, for a couple of reasons one stories about people mm -hmm. two we want to hear them speak and if you ha heard that bernard story about the corporate citizenship, if you had it transcribed, nearly all of it is in conversation. What I asked, what Bernard, Bernard said, what his son said. Hmm. So stories are about people. We want to hear them speak. We want to deliver the dialogue, not report on the dialogue. And then there has to be, a, it can be a simple story, but a profound message. Hmm. Sweet. So I talk through. Now, lucky for me, 
because his assistant said, look, he's not going to stay longer than two hours. Well, <laughs> people kept coming to the door. He said, Bernard's still with Patricia. <laughs> After five and a half hours, they said, sir, we've canceled two appointments, but you do have to come now. So he was, he was walking out. He said, when can we talk again? Uh-huh. Now, this was long before Zoom, Chris. <laughs> right. And I used to go down to Silicon Valley, stay the night before, and at four o'clock in the morning, go in the back door of a secure building. His secretary assistant had to get there even earlier to open the doors to get the studio ready so I could video conference with him and work on his presentation. Wow. And I wish you could have been there, Chris, which is a great phrase for an opening. (laughs) Wish you could have been there sitting in the front row of this beautiful ballroom at the Bellagio. And he walked out, spoke for 45 minutes with no notes, four slides. He was funny, dynamic, poignant, and everyone leapt to their feet. And as I walked out in the coffee break, I heard people say, what happened to Bernard? (laughs) And I thought to myself, he's been frippnotized. So that's what I do. I conversationally talk them through their presentation. Then what I'll often do is when they talk it, I'll have it transcribed and turn it into a script just to make it tight for them to get in their body. Yes, yes. Nice. Very nice. You know, everybody hop over to Fripp.com. You just open it right up. Imagine being successful every time you speak. Yeah. <laughs> every time I hear you, you're just so articulate. And whenever I think I level off, I listen to you and it's like, I've got to, you know, causes me to reach, right? I got to re-fretnotize. Yeah. I where's your next class? And a lot of times, some, like you said earlier, that some people can afford, you know, one-on-one coaching, but they can go to your site and get amazing. you got free things. you got a lot of content. Oh, yes. So there are plenty of, there's a button, free resources. You can sign up for my Tuesday mailings and my Frip VT, Frip Virtual Training. This is the absolute best of what I've learned in, in studying speaking for decades in an interactive online learning. You can get a year for less than one hour of coaching. And a lot of my executives have that as well as personal coaching just to get them up to speed and save time. It's like getting a PhD in presentation skills. Right. Well, you you know, you've gotten me all excited again. I think just to hear your voice and the way that you tell the story. And I mean, I don't even need to say anything. I could just listen to you the whole time. (laughs) And you've got so many great books. What are you really excited about right now? Well, I would say the latest book, which is a very easy read, Deliver Unforgettable Presentations with Darren LaCroix and Mark Brown, who you know, who are both world champion of public speaking. Right. And it is really a step by step on how you put together a presentation, find content. And that's been very well received. So that is the latest book. Well, I'm always exciting about new clients and interesting people. My favorite conversation, or my favorite activity, I like going to movies and museums and the theater. But when people say, what's your list of favorite activities? 
is probably why you have a, a podcast, Chris. It's fun to have interesting conversations with fascinating yes. people. Yes. And, and that's what it's like with my my clients. Everyone is fascinating. Yes. I get to help them tell this story better. Wow, that's wonderful. And just today, I've already thought about a couple different shows I, that you could just drill down totally on the telling the story. And then the other one was that I have the challenge with is how to present in the virtual world and the, all of this stuff. It's really... Oh, well, that is there is a special report, which was, of course, written at the beginning of the pandemic. But, oh, for decades, even before Zoom, I've been coaching virtually because my clients are all over the world, especially right. these big tech companies. Right. Getting people ready to speak at a user conference. You have 100 speakers in you know, 20 different countries. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just have to come back again and do just, you know, a folk, just do a focus on that because there's thousands of people that are listening to this show and everybody's a speaker, right? On whatever level they are. Yes. Outside the privacy, I used to say, Chris, outside the privacy of your own home, all speaking is public speaking. Now, since the pandemic and virtual meetings, even inside the privacy of your own home, most of your speaking is public speaking. And the secret really with virtual meetings is you have to develop an energetic intimacy with your webcam. Hmm. Energetic intimacy, boom! That's a that's a frippism. <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, we'll leave it. We can leave them hanging there for. Well, like I would just like do that another time. Well, Chris, there is one. There is one technique. Okay, tell me, tell me. And that is, I always say. So you've you've gone through your presentation, you've done your review, you've done your call for action, and you close. However, you choose to close. And then, and I teach my sales teams to do this. Imagine you're in person and you've closed your presentation and you're just turning to walk out of the room and you say, remember. Now, with sales teams, because all good copywriters will tell you if they're sending a sales letter, they will write the PS first. Because the PS of a sales letter is the number one benefit or the reason we're sending you the sales letter. Yeah, it's get the upgrade, get the version two, right. buy our next book, subscribe to this event, whatever it is, is the PS. So I would work with sales teams and I'd say, so just as you're going, and I used to call it the Columbo close. Now, of course, that dates me terribly, although Columbo, as in many of these shows, live forever on some of these more obscure TV channels. Yeah. But Columbo, this very brilliant and wrinkled detective, would just be going out and he'd turn around and say one more question. <laughs> and that's when the perp confessed. So I would say just as you're walk, uh, you've closed, you're just walking away. It's your PS close. It's your Columbo close. And one was, remember, 156 profitable quarters. This was a big player in an industry. And they, of course, if you have a big, enormous company, you're not going to move quite as fast as an entrepreneurial company. However, if you have 156 profitable quarters, chances are they're never going to go out of business. <laughs> so that was their advantage. Another was, remember, 99% of the Fortune 100 do business with us. 
Another was, remember, our company is large enough to satisfy all your needs and small enough that you will always be a VIP client. Mm. So that is the PS close and the sales. And in a presentation, I call it, it's your last words linger. Mm. So you've finished and then you say, and remember. And whatever is one of the biggest ideas or the biggest sound bites from your presentation. So you might say with all your guests and Patricia or John or Fred, whoever you interview, what is your concluding remark? Mm. And that would be your last words linger. And I would say, remember, all learning requires repetition and reinforcement. Mm. Training is not something you did. It is something you do. Mm. Bingo. That's it right there. (laughs) That's it right there. Yeah. There's so much to learn about healthy money. I hope today's discussion brings you one step closer to securing and protecting your future. So you can get started on the right foot, go to meetwithchrismeller.com and schedule your free financial fitness strategy session. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Money 911 so you don't miss our next episode, which includes health, wealth, and peace of mind.